to The Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. Yeah, that's me. Good morning to you. Eight minutes after 9 a.m. on this gorgeous Tuesday, the 13th of uh, October. I'm Andy Griffin. And thanks for tuning in. It is, uh, it is uh, good to be here. We've got a couple of guests for you today. Uh, Alana Davidson will join us in the second half hour. We're going to talk to Alana a little bit about uh, maybe some of us are having a far, hard time finding our happy when it comes to uh, uh, COVID-19 and, you know, it's the isolating, quarantining uh, and things like that. And just going to talk about that and also why some, some of us make bad decisions. We know they're bad decisions and we make them anyway. So we're going to talk to her about that, about why we do that and maybe how we can avoid that in the future. But right now we've got Colonel Jack Hunter in with us. Jack, step right up to that red microphone there. Put that up close to your mouth if you can. There you go. Yeah, lift it up a little. There we go. There's Jack. How yep. you doing, man? Good morning, sir. How sure, are you? Sure, good to see you. Good to see you. You guys uh, out there at the uh, West, I'm gonna, I always say it wrong, Western Sky Aviation Warbird Museum. That's a mouthful, Jack. That's a big mouthful. <laughs> it really is. It is. And I wonder if we put all that together. It was uh, quite fun to do that, but... And you guys have a big event coming up. We'll talk more about that as we as we go through here in the next few minutes. But uh, talk a little bit about your uh, your museum out there. It's a it's a I, I would call it a labor of love for you, Jack. Oh, it is. It is. It uh, when I came here to uh, work for SkyWest Airlines in the flight safety department and stuff like that, I I never dreamed that I would be doing this. And uh, mm-hmm. I uh, one day a friend called me from California and says I got a MiG fifteen, a Russian MiG fifteen. Would you like to have it? He just called and he said, called, yeah. he, he says, and unfortunately it was a, it was a bad situation cause he was dying of cancer and he didn't, oh, yeah. he didn't want it to, to be destroyed or stuff like that. Or he, he didn't want to bother. So he, he, he asked me if I wanted it and I says, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do with a big 15. <laughs> I'll put it in the backyard. backyard. <laughs> yeah, but I did. So I, uh, I got, got that make 15 and brought it up here. Then somebody says, well, why don't you just start a little museum? Cause nobody's probably ever seen a Russian make 15, especially this one. Cause this was a Chinese Blue oh, in the wow. Korean War has bullet holes in it, all kinds of stuff. It's a beautiful airplane. But mm-hmm. so I says, well, let's try a five hundred one C three and 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 put it together and and just see how it works. Little did I know, yeah, that it snowballed and stuff. And then I bought a hangar and and uh, up the old airport and uh, we ran up there for a few years. And then of course we moved to the new airport, but, but so, it just snowballed and stuff like that. And it's a yeah, my wife says it's a very expensive hobby. <laughs> But, that uh, that that where you're located now is that so you had to buy the property yourself? Well, it's it's a, it's a, it, the property is on is, is, is cities, of course. It's oh, the okay. airport. We lease the property from. Oh, I see. I see. But it's uh, yeah, it just snowballed. It got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, uh, you know, we need another large hangar, but I don't think anybody's got a million dollars they want to donate to the museum today. But well, if they nice, if but, they do, if they could drop. Yeah, uh, a couple hundred thousand my way. I, I'll I'll start a museum too on Good something, band. a radio museum. Maybe I can put it right next to the be perfect, be yeah, perfect, right next to your museum. What what would you say? Obviously, that that Chinese MIG. You, you have a couple of those now, don't you? Oh, we got three of them. Three of them. We got yeah. yeah, seventeen and that, and then we got the UTI, which is the training MIG, mm-hmm. and we do a lot of training in that MIG. It's crazy. Oh, you still do? We do. Yeah. Oh. Uh, since the COVID happened, we had uh, we we figured we can't. There's no air shows. There's nothing yeah. going on. So we. We uh, figured it was a good time to tear the airplanes down and really go through them. Hmm. So the MiG-15 was starting to get a little bit uh, tired uh, as far as uh, hydraulic hoses and everything. They're 1950 model hoses and stuff. So we took it all apart, the tails off of it and everything. We sent wow. the hoses in to be replaced, and we're putting permanent hoses on it now. And 
So we'll get that hopefully flying here in the next couple of months. But what's yeah. your? Well, I was going to say, what's your what's your crowning uh, your your favorite or your or maybe your crowning uh, uh, attraction out there at the museum? Well, we've got a number of them. One really uh, is an A thirty seven, and some people don't know what an A thirty seven, but right. the Air Force flew with the T thirty seven, which was a trainer. The A thirty seven is a Vietnam, just like the A ten is today. It was a ground support fighter type airplane. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's an absolutely beautiful airplane, completely restored. It came out of Vietnam and uh, fully restored. It took 12 years to restore it because it came out of the jungle. Yeah, it's got quite a history because it was captured by the North Vietnamese, flown by them, and we got pictures of them. Hmm. And then recaptured back, and then, and of course, uh, we got the airplane, and it was restored. And uh, there's two in the world that are flying, and this is one of them. That's amazing. Yeah, there's plenty of museums and stuff, but not flying. And we fly this thing. It's a phenomenal airplane. And you have stories and documentation of its history, we I do. guess. We That's do. amazing. It is amazing. We've got that, that background on it. Now, his name escapes me, but uh, when, when I was there, last time I was out there, uh, there was a, a, uh, a former Air Force official that you've, uh, I don't know, have his uniform or something like that. I, maybe you can tell me a little bit about some of the people you honor out there as well. Well, volunteers, we've got phenomenal volunteers, mm-hmm. greatest people you could ever have. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, they... they they always tease me that, you know, that I uh, give them a pay raise all the time, just add another zero onto the end of the zero. <laughs> so, but they're really good people, and uh, mm-hmm. some of them are ex-military, uh, some are not. Uh, we've got one of our premier uh, people that does the tours and everything, He's American Airlines for 30 years. Oh, wow. And uh, we got a guy out there that does, uh, or is fixing our F- F-5, and he is the space shuttle engineer. No kidding. And we have some of his memorabilia out there, but he was the engineer on the space shuttle. So. Amazing. So amazing wow. people that, that help us, and they're just phenomenal people that that are tired of being home and not nothing to do. They come out there, and we harass <laughs> them, and, and they do a phenomenal job for us. And we'll, we'll talk about your, uh, not an air show, but you talk about your uh, your event coming up. Uh, first, talk about Kay Eckhart, if you would like. Yeah, Kay was a very good friend, and anybody in the aviation industry, especially the Warbirds, knew Kay Eckhart. He's a phenomenal guy. He was really a, a super person. If you ever come out to the museum and seen the Blue Angel T-33, that was Kay Eckhart. Hmm. He, at one time, and probably still is, the highest uh, rated type uh, T-33 pilot in the world. Wow. And he trained a lot of pilots and stuff like that. So he was well-known, and he flew numerous airplanes and stuff. But just a great guy. He lived in Salt Lake. His, his airplanes were out at Wendover and stuff. And then he called me. He usually called me once a week, and, uh, and we'd... Uh, you know, talk about aviation and what's going on. And, and uh, he did a lot and helped us a lot in the museum. So. And Kay passed away recently? But he, yeah, uh, it was a tragedy type thing. He called me and says, Jack, I don't feel good. And I said, there's something wrong. I says, well, did you see a doctor? And he says, yeah, but the doctor says, I'm going to die. <laughs> and I said, Kay, you know, quit exaggerating. Go see it. And if you don't like the doctor, go see somebody that can tell you exactly. And go up to Huntsman if you got some real problems. He thought he had cancer. And, of course, he, he did. He had lung mm-hmm. cancer. Oh. Never smoked a day in his life, ever. And uh, so he went up to Huntsman, and he got a really good doctor, and the doctor says, well, all the tests they did, they found out the cancer was not in the lungs. It was outside the lung. But the tragic part about it is that by the time he got in to do the surgery and stuff and and about quality of life and all this stuff, it went to his brain and his heart. And so he says, there's no quality of life. It's just, you know, I'm just time to go to the next world. And, And he passed on, and so we lost a very, very good friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're always going. We're going to go west someday, all of us anyway. So, yeah. but, uh, 
But so we thought we'd just put this together since we have no air shows this year, except for we were lucky to have the B-17 and B-25 coming in. That was and, awesome. Yeah, that was phenomenal airplanes. Yeah. And we're going to get them back in May, it looks like. so. I, I had the opportunity to bring my dad out uh, and let him see those. And, of course, oh. he, he's, he was born in 35. So, sure, sure. you know, World War II, he was a little kid looking up to these pilots and, and, and these amazing planes and everything. And, uh, yeah. yeah, he was, he was all, I think, just for a minute or two, my 85-year-old father was, was right back in, you know, 1944 and, and, you know, looking at these planes. It was a phenomenal deal. Oh, really yes, was. Yeah, I got, got to go fly in the 17, and it just, mm-hmm. you know, you see, you just – Think back, 17 and 18 year old kids were flying these things. Yeah. And in yeah. war with those warbirds. And so it was phenomenal. And, and we were lucky to have them come in that. But because we had no activities, I mean, we were shut down, of course, until June because of the virus. Yeah. And so we really didn't have any activities. And, and there's no air shows. So we can't take our MIGs, our airplanes to any air shows. So uh, it's been kind of a bad year, needless to say, rough year. for the museum and everybody else. I mean, it, our costs still go on. It's, you know, they don't stop because of there's the, the virus out there. So we thought we'd put this together for Kay, just a little memorial, and uh, for his friends to come and just for two days, come and fly, enjoy it, and uh, I remember a great friend, and uh, so we just put this together, and uh, we're just inviting the public, if they want to come out and see these warbirds, uh, we've got some that are, they're coming, they're, they're kind of unusual airplanes, and uh, but you never know, you know, could weather, right, not, not right. here particularly, but where they're coming from, or mechanicals or stuff, but it looks like we've got, you know, about 10 airplanes coming right now. The nuts and bolts on this, it's October 16th and 17th, that's Friday and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. out there at the airport, just past the airport turnoff, right. out to the museum. Uh, tell us, well, first of all, before we go on to the show, I, I got to ask you, uh, uh, obviously airplanes are pretty tight, not a lot of room to fit guys in. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I was looking at that, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty tight fit. And then I'm walking around uh, one of those uh, bombers, the Flying Fortresses, mm-hmm. and uh, I got to the tail gunner position. And that is the smallest compartment I've ever seen them have. A hu- I, I don't know. I mean, you don't have to be claustrophobic to go, that doesn't, that's not a road enough room for a person in there. There isn't. It's crazy. And the ball turn on the bottom. Can you imagine right, right, right. that thing? The belly there. And, yeah. and when I got in the B-17 to climb up to the, you know, the cockpit area, you got really on your hands and knees. You know, these things you see in the movies is really not true. <laughs> Those are places are really not. Yeah, there's, there's no, it's not like Star Wars, no. you know. You've got your own bubble and you're floating around. It's like, <laughs> no, it doesn't work yeah, that way. But it's a phenomenal airplane, and uh, we're just lucky to have them come. Again, we're going to have them come back in May, which is good when we have our big dance and everything. Oh, yeah. Hopefully seven, everything so. will be copacetic, and we'll have a big dance. I'll get my poking out tie yeah. out and dance. I've, I've already dog. measured you for the backseat of the MiG-15. So. <laughs> remember, I can get you in. And if you want to get out, we can get you out. Yeah, one button, right? One button. <laughs> okay, let's talk about now what's what's coming up again. Uh, it's Friday, Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. These airplanes fascinate me. I, I was able to, after we talked a couple of weeks ago, I, I started Googling some of these things. First one I Googled was that Beechcraft Starship. starship. Uh, it looks like a starship. It's it's amazing. Tell us about it. Well, it is. It, it's uh, In fact, uh, Beechcraft built a few of those. Mm-hmm. very and, few and very few mm-hmm. and uh and for some reason it's a composite airplane it's you know it's not luminous it's a composite aircraft and then for some reason they you know they built the king air also which is a very popular airplane and uh they've they just abandoned it uh there was some technical reasons that it's not the airplane particularly but some manufacturing or some problems they had that they didn't want to pursue it and so they stopped 
building those things. And so they're the uh, guy that uh, is coming with the starship. And we hope he's coming. You know, you, again, he's down in the Louisiana, Texas area. So fingers crossed. Got fingers yeah. crossed. But there's only there's only two of those also, and he has wow. both of them. One's for parts and one's for flying. Really? But you see that airplane. It is it is a starship. It yeah. is. You know, Google it if you, if you don't know what a starship is. Yeah, they have a video. Starship. A guy actually, probably the owner of it, he <laughs> takes you on a little walkthrough around the plane and stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, it's a beautiful airplane. So we're we're hoping, um, Rogers is the guy's name. He has also two fighter jets, hmm. and he was going to bring one of those uh, up too, but uh, uh, we said, don't bring the starship. People yeah. would love to see that. <laughs> so I hope. I just Again, keep, keep your fingers crossed. Or get a friend and bring them both, right? Yeah, bring them both. <laughs> yeah, especially the F-5 fighter. You know, and, uh, but uh, anyway, we, uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, we keep our fingers crossed. You never know who comes and who's not going to be able to come because of a number of reasons, but uh, we just invite the public to come out and look at them if they like. They'll come out and and uh, we'll give tours, you know, in between their flying and let them talk to the pilots and explain the aircraft and stuff to them and, and the airplanes that are coming. So, I like touring your hangar, too, with some of the, the classic, you know, you mentioned the Vietnam era jet and, and uh, some of the amazing uh, things in there. What other planes, what other jets do you have coming in? Well, we've got uh, the L-39 Alpha, and then the L-39 is the Czechoslovakian. And it's, it really? looks, looks like a T-38 airplane. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really a sleek, beautiful airplane. It's a James Bond airplane. It's yeah. one of the James Bond movies. <laughs> but uh, we'll have two or three of those coming in. And uh, we have one in our hangar, of course, But uh, right. and they'll be flying. Uh, we got the uh, the Alpha Jet. Yeah, now you He's keep saying that. I, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to Google that one yet. That's, Tell that's me about the, what an Alpha that's Jet is. That's a German is. fighter. I'm in okay. trainer. And uh, he'll be here on Saturday about noon, or Friday about noon. And uh, that is a... You know, it really, it's a different, it's an absolutely beautiful airplane. He's coming. He called me yesterday, so he's coming for sure. Nice. Of course, we'll have the A-37. We'll have two couples or three T-33s. One comes from Louisiana. Again, if the weather, you know, it's coming out of a, out of there. Uh, the Vampire Jet, which is a British you know, fighter jet. Why do they call it the Vampire Jet, do you know? Yeah, that's just the name. Nickname they named that thing. Okay. It's twin-tailed, twin-boom okay. type jets, still different and everything. Uh so uh, you know, those are just some of the airplanes that'll be there. Then we got them in our museum. We got the, you know the T thirty eight and the F five and all those kind of airplanes. It's only five bucks for adults, seventeen and under. Get in absolutely free. Yeah. Uh, anything else about this event? Is well, any- the, uh, the the five dollars. You know, we know we don't charge anything, but we're we're doing this because a lot of people are coming in four K, and it just helps us defray the cost of the meals and stuff like that. And uh, uh, you know, I think $5 is not too much to come out and see some airplanes, I hope. You know. Cheaper than a movie. Yeah, a lot yeah. cheaper than a movie. And and then, again, they'll get be able to see the airplanes and everything. And, and again, we're out there open. We're not closed, enclosed out there. So you can, if you want to wear a mask, please do. We have masks out there. If you don't have them, we'll give you one. We've got hand sanitizers all over the place out there. You can spread apart. You don't have to be in a crowd. So, um, you know, we're we're that COVID-19, we're, we're concerned about that also. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't have any problem with the B-17 and B-25, and there was a lot of people for that. I there mean, was, a lot yeah. of people. And we didn't get one that ever ever got the Awesome. Oh, that's there. good so, to hear. And, and, so uh, we're conscious of that. You know, we don't want anybody, of course, ever to get sick with that stuff. So. And you got pretty sick yourself. Oh, oh I had yeah. that in January. Yeah. It is no fun. Absolutely no yeah. fun. But, you know, you'll survive it if... if uh, you don't have any underlying conditions and stuff, but yeah. Well, Jack, uh, Colonel Jack Hunter, so good to see you today. I appreciate yes, you coming in and spending a few minutes. I look forward to your not air show. 
yeah, yeah. It's not, show. not allowed to have those, but uh, come in, uh, have people come by Friday and Saturday and check out the jets. And the, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to see up close and personal that uh, starship. Oh yeah. And, and I, the I, alpha jet. I, and the alpha jet. Yeah. yeah. I just keep my fingers crossed on the spark starship. Because okay. Like say they're in a bad weather place. And, uh, so, and then the, uh, that starship is spectacular. Well, mm. you know, I'll get you, I'll get you inside that airplane, that cockpit of that airplane. That is it's incredible. A, it is incredible airplanes. Don't push the button to get me out though. That's no, bad news. I can't do it in that. Just the MIG. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jack. Hey, thank you. you for your time. Good to see you today. Thank you. Colonel Jack Hunter from the Western Sky Aviation Warbird Museum out there at the airport. It's easy to find. You just basically turned off the airport. You just don't turn there. Just keep going. It's another I don't know, maybe block, I guess you would call it, and uh, and uh, really a, a great opportunity to come and see some of these amazing aircraft. And it's also in memory of uh, Kay Eckhart. All right, we've got to take a break. When we come back, uh, I've got an author ready to go. We also have our weather uh, update coming. We'll be right back on The Andy Griffin Show. Just a couple of minutes away from our weather break here on the Andy Griffin Show, but a couple of things I wanted to mention. And uh, we also have another guest coming up. Yeah, Ilana Davidson will join us on the air as well. Uh, again, I got a letter from Dr. Elizabeth Leet. She was on the show, I don't know, three weeks ago or so, maybe a month ago. And uh, she was the one, if you'll remember, she really is angry that uh, doctors will not prescribe uh, hydroxychloroquine to help people in the early stages of getting this uh, this uh, terrible virus that we have going through. She's like, we have this disease. It's proven to save life after life if you administer it in the first week of when somebody has this virus. And, uh, and uh, doctors are blocking it because there's so much money tied into uh, getting a vaccine into these other uh, cures that uh, it's, it's about money and politics and it's frustrating to her. Anyway, in her letter, she said, uh, let's see, a couple of lessons we've learned from scientific research. COVID-19 is not the death sentence we had first thought for healthy 74-year-olds who don't, do not smoke tobacco, don't drink alcohol, and have no serious medical conditions such as heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, kidney disease, or morbid obesity. Recovery rate is better than 95%. Did you hear that number again? I'll break it down for you. 74-year-olds, the average healthy 74-year-old who does not have Heart, lung disease, diabetes, kidney disease, or morbid obesity, 95% of 74-year-olds and older survive if they don't have those other comorbidities. Also, she said, thousands of frontline physicians in the U.S. and around the world have been saying this from the beginning. Early treatment is the principle that guides almost all medical practice, from heart disease to diabetes to cancer, and in particular in viral diseases, early treatment is absolutely critical Patients need antiviral medications, vitamins, minerals, known immune boosters, fresh air, and sunshine. Studies confirm early treatment for COVID-19 in more than 130 studies compiled at c19study.com. The early treatment studies used hydroxychloroquine, showed a favorable effect with HCQ with other antivirals, with a median improvement of 64%. We accept 30% 30% of success with flu vaccine. Why wouldn't we accept 64% success with hydroxychloroquine? It's uh, really, she says, it's unconscionable that that we're not doing this, that it's, it's just not right. And lesson number three that we learned, doctors have now learned what medicines work and when to use them. Many physicians across America 
She said, myself included, are using a combination approach to early treatment for COVID, keeping patients at home for treatment with family and loved ones around them, helping to implement the physician's recommendations. In other words, you don't have to go to the hospital. Just, it's just something to keep in mind. Welcome back to the program, 935 here on KDXU. Thanks for tuning in. I've got author Alana Davidson on the line with me. Alana, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. That's not good for a radio guy. I, thank you for coming on the okay. uh, program today. It's uh, it's good to hear your happy voice. And that's kind of the your theme, isn't it? Happy? Yes, yes. I mean, and by happy, I don't mean having a smile on your face all the time. I mean... <laughs> peace and contentment with yourself and how you are in life. And um, happy can include grief, actually. Um, so there's like happiness, the emotion, and then happiness, the state of being. And so I'm all about how do you find your happiness, that state of being where you are at peace with yourself and at peace with life, no matter what emotion you're feeling. I like that word you said, contentment, being content with who you are. And what you do. Let me officially introduce you. Alana is an emotional health and happiness coach and the best-selling author of Finding Your Own Happy, The Soul Searcher's Guide to Peace and Happiness in Everyday Life. Alana specializes in working with women to transform chronic feelings of unhappiness and depression that, despite their best efforts, they have not been able to change. They often don't know exactly what is wrong and are afraid they are uniquely broken in ways that can't be fixed. And, you know, Alana, as you, as you talk about that, I think about, you know, this COVID-19 has thrown us all for a loop and uh, more prevalent than ever is anxiety and depression. And uh, even, mm-hmm. you know, the, even the prevalence of, of suicide, which is a, a subject that, it, you know, really, really gets to, to the heart of a lot of people. When we, when we talk about those things because nobody likes to lose a loved one, but uh, it, it seems like things are worse. Alana, what can, what can we do about it? Well, we are living in very uncertain times Mm -hmm. and for people that have had a lot of um, stability or security or um, haven't dealt with the turmoil of life in a very uncertain way can be rather shocking and upsetting. Um, One of the things that I tell people is get really present with your life. So for me, like I've been homeless, I've, I've dealt with a lot of adversity in my life. And one of the, things that really helped me was to stay incredibly present with my life. So not just even today, but like this hour, this 10 minutes of my life. And um, so like, for example, when I was homeless, I wouldn't know where I was going to sleep that night. And yet if I stayed with lunchtime at lunchtime by the evening, something would have shown up or, or shifted that was able to help me get what I needed. So a lot of worry and anxiety and stress has to do with what we project onto the future and what the future will be. And then trying to sort of recover ourselves from the projected future that we think is going to happen, which honestly, my experience is when you get to that future, it's usually not what you thought it was going to be in the first place. So you spent all this time trying to prove, to protect yourself from an imagined future that never actually happened. You know, my, my, um, so the more present. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say my, my mom, <clears throat> my mom was a warrior. She's gone now. I, I miss her terribly, but she was a warrior. And that was 
I don't know if you can call it inherited, uh, but that was something that she passed on to me. I worry about the future. I worry about things. I worry, mm-hmm. you know, if my loved ones aren't around me, if they're okay. Uh, worrying isn't necessarily a bad thing, is it? Well, um, I really like this quote, which is to say, worrying is praying for what you don't want to happen to happen. <laughs> um, so there's, and I think there's a fine line of distinction of like, care and concern versus worry, ah. right? And to be able to to distinguish between the two and to know when, like, oh, I'm thinking of someone, I hope that they're okay, I, I have concern for them, versus ruminating on all of the fears that you have about what could happen and, and what might occur and then trying to prevent those things from occurring. But really, they are only occurring in your mind. We are talking with Alana Davidson. She lives, uh, you're in Moab now, right? I am in Moab, Utah, yeah. Awesome. We're in St. George, so we're uh, a couple hundred miles away from each other, not too far. Sounds like you're next door, so that's nice. (laughs) Um, And uh, Mm -hmm. Alana's website is healingmindsandhearts.com, healingmindsandhearts.com. Alana wants to give you a a free PDF copy of of her book. She wants to help uh, coach you to to be happier, Uh, Let's go to our website and sign up, or Facebook page too, right, Alana? Yes. Um, actually, I have a, a Facebook group that is where I post most and am most active. So if you're looking for some insights, tips, tools for finding greater happiness, peace, and well-being in your life, then come join me at um, my Facebook group, which is Finding Your Unhappy also. The, the Beatles famously said, money can't buy me love, and of course, you've heard the saying many times, money can't buy you happiness. Uh, will you talk about where happiness comes from, Alana, at least in, in your mind? I mean, <clears throat> I had someone say, well, money can't, can't buy me happiness, but it'll, it'll make me you know, pretty darn close anyway. <laughs> I think that happiness comes with um, congruency with yourself and your own being. Okay. And that when you're... Um, in some sort of inner conflict or um, out of alignment with your truth, if that makes sense, that's what creates a lot of turmoil and a lot of conflict. If you look at how many wealthy people, I mean, I think of a lot of celebrities that have killed themselves, right? They Mm -hmm. had all of the money in the world and they were certainly not happy. And so to me, it's you got to make peace with yourself and your own way of being in the world. And from there, your happiness comes. And from there, you can, you know, money is not a bad thing, of course, and it does support well-being. And it's definitely much easier to take care of your basic needs if you have some financial resources, which, you know, being able to take care of yourself does contribute to your happiness. Uh, But I think it's really that, you know, peace with yourself and your own being that happiness stems from. You start your book, and uh, and by the way, book the book is Finding Your Own Happy. You start your book talking about what I, see, I think I've heard a million times. Uh, when you're kind of down in the dump, someone says, well, you know, you need to change your thinking. You need to create your own reality. You need to get out more. You need to think more positively or try a little bit harder. Apply yourself. Cheer up. Life ain't bad. Uh, these things that I've heard over and over and over again, anytime you're feeling down, somebody's going to give you one of those lines, Alana, what? What, what did you tell me about your experience with uh, kind of those those things? Yeah, so I was definitely told a lot of those things or implicitly or 
um, explicitly. And it was very frustrating because I was working really, really hard on myself. I was one of the most Mm self-reflective people that I knew. I was really into personal development. And yet I was still struggling with, you mentioned suicide. Like I have felt those feelings many times throughout my life. And so it just felt like I just felt more wrong and more bad about myself hearing those things because I had tried all of them and they weren't working. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, you're going, um, hey, I did that. I am thinking positively, and yet I still feel down. Yeah, yeah. And so there's there's missing information that I think that's what my book is really about is the information that I felt like I was missing in my searching for, you know, really decades to try to figure out what what's going on here and what does it take for me to actually truly be happy um, that I couldn't find anybody anywhere else. Nobody else was telling me these things. And when I finally put them all together, it's like that's when I started to come out of the deep, dark depressions and the feeling suicidal and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I see so many people walking around just thinking that they're wrong and broken and, and screwed up. And the truth is they just don't understand their experience in a way that helps it make sense for them and helps them figure out what's really going on so that they can be happy. One of the, one of the phrases in your book I, I really liked was happiness may be a choice, but it's only a choice when you have the capacity to choose it. What did you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's another cliche that people say, well, happiness is just a choice, but right. if you don't, again, if you don't understand what's going on, in your world, why these difficult emotions are showing up, um, then it, it can feel like it's not a choice because you don't have the tools to get you to be able to make that choice. And without the tools, it's not going to be a choice for you. It's going to be like, wow, I'm really depressed and I don't know what to do about it. And I can't just flip a switch and say, okay, I'm going to be happy now because there's, there's other layers and there's other sort of tools or requirements to get you to that place where you can say, okay, I can get out of this and I can be in a different place. It's not as simple as like, oh, I'm just going to choose how I feel today. Yeah, it's, it's not that simple, is it? I mean, so, I, you, you know, you can, no. you can certainly affect your, your, your mood uh, that way, but uh, it's, it's, just, it's just not that there's easy. There's layers, right? And there are, there are moments when you have a crummy attitude and thinking more positively is absolutely going to help you feel more happy or, you know, you're just bumming out and go do something fun and it's going to shift your mood. But there's also times when none of that is going to be enough to do. So, I mean, there's a broad spectrum and none of those cliche things that people say um, don't ever work. They do work sometimes or people wouldn't say them, but there's other layers and other things, especially for people who have struggled for a long time with being depressed. There's probably other things that they need to look at or address to help them shift their experience. Okay. We've got to get a commercial break in. When I come back, I, got to, I want to ask you some pointed questions, uh, one of which is why do we make bad decisions? Why do we do things that we know are bad for us, and yet we do them anyway? Uh, and I want to ask you uh, about stepping into the darkness, stepping into the unknown. Uh, okay. You, you want to hang with us a little bit longer? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Absolutely. I'm having fun. All right. Thanks, Alana. We'll be uh, – 
Well, let me do this. Let me thank Joe Shoney. Joe Shoney's a local uh, loan consultant. His customer service skills are legendary. He averages 4.91 out of five stars with 454 online reviews. Here's Robert. Robert says, very easy to work with and great communication with the client. Uh, Melinda says, Joe and Sue are always so helpful and so fun to work with. Uh, let's see. Paul says Joe and his team were very professional and efficient during the entire process. These are all five-star reviews. Well, you have to have a lot of five-star reviews if you get 4.91 average out of five stars with nearly 500 reviews. I urge you to give him a call. Joe Shoney is a phone number is 435-590-6300. He'll help you out with a, I don't know, refi, a home equity line, uh, just a regular home loan, uh, different kinds of home loans. He's the guy to call, 435-590-6300. Welcome back to the Andy Griffin Show. That's me. I'm Andy. Uh, appreciate you being here. Also with me is Alana Davidson. Alana is an author of the book uh, Finding Your Own Happy. And uh, she's not trying to get rich off you. She wants you to read the book. She'll send you a PDF and uh, give you some coach. I mean, you're, you're you're in this for uh, to me it seems like some pretty pretty good reasons and some pretty personal reasons Alana can you talk a little bit about your journey in finding your own happiness Absolutely yeah so like I was saying before for for decades of really decades of my life I struggled with sometimes suicidal feeling depression I was working really hard on on trying to figure out what my issues were. Um, I felt like I was one of those most self-reflective people I knew, and yet it felt like I was working so much harder than everybody else around me to have my life work and to feel happy. And I really was, for whatever reason, committed to finding a way out and to the other side. And so through that journey and through sort of seeking from lots of different inputs, and then feeling like nobody in my life had the answer, right. um, I just started to put all the pieces together for myself in a different way. And once I really, so my book is really, what were all of the pieces that were necessary for me to turn the corner on dark depression, feeling suicidal, and get to a place of feeling at peace and happy in my life? And then I started to see like so many other people struggle very similarly that I had in the ways that I had and also seemed to be missing some of the insights and some of the tools that I had discovered for myself. So yeah, the book is really a um, sort of a love letter to all of those people that sort of are on an earlier stage of the journey that I was on and are wondering, Hey, what gives like, I don't, I don't get what I'm missing. Um, so if this is an answer, share some of what you might be missing that could make a real and lasting difference in your sense of peace and happiness in your life. We don't have a ton of time. I did want to get to a couple of questions. Uh, one of the one of the teases when when I was reading the, the uh, press uh, briefing on on you was uh, she'll help us explain why we make bad decisions, why we knowingly make bad decisions, and uh, what, you know could be uh, you know people that choose to smoke cigarettes or drink alcohol or. Or uh, for me personally, uh, why I eat that extra donut? I know, I know it's bad for me. I know I'm going to regret it later, but I do it anyway. Alana. Mm-hmm. Well, my experience is that um, we're always trying to meet some need by any behavior that we do, mm-hmm. and very often our our uh, behaviors are 
driven at the subconscious level. So there's some subconscious belief or patterning that is um, compelling us to behave in certain ways and do certain things in attempt to take care of ourselves, survive. It's often, you know, survival driven. And that if you don't look at the subconscious pattern that goes behind the behavior and you just change change the behavior or try to quote just give it up that behavior was actually doing something for you on the subconscious level so unless you give yourself subconscious something else to accomplish the same objective then the subconscious is going to go back to doing the same thing by the way i've had a couple of people email me or, or text me during the show uh, how do i get a hold of uh, of this book go to healingmindsandhearts.com healingmindsandhearts.com com is the best place to go. And uh, what was the Facebook, uh, again, uh, group that you have? Yeah, it's, it's a, so my Facebook group is the same as the title of my book. It's Finding Your Own Happy. And so just search Finding Your Own Happy on Facebook, and you should be able to find me there. Very good. Very good. Now, you talk about stepping into the darkness or stepping into the unknown. There's This is one of my issues. I worry about the unknown. I worry about, you know, if, if I haven't been there before and experienced it, then I'm really, really worried about not knowing. Do I need to get over that? Can I get over that? How do I get over that? Uh, again, I think that those fears, those those deep fears that are sort of not founded in reality go back to our early programming and our early patterns in life. And, and so it could be um, childhood fears or traumas or that subconscious that is coming up. So there's something that gets kicked up in your subconscious, some story or some belief that then your subconscious is trying to protect you, right? So that's what the fear is coming from is your subconscious trying to um, protect you. You should only get over it if it's not working for you. Mm. If it, it's fine, I mean, I say if it's not work, if it's working for you, don't change it. Right? Mm-hmm. The only reason to change anything is because you don't like what it's doing for you or how it's working for you. And so, um, you know, some people are happy to you know to live in whatever container they live in. Maybe they have fears, but they have created a safe life, and that works for them. But if it's hindering your life or not allowing you to do things that you want to do, then, yeah, maybe there's something to look at there, particularly on the subconscious level that could help you shift it. What is, uh, Alana, what is an emotional compass? What does that mean? Um, (laughs) Emotional compass is, um, so one of the things that I talk a lot about in that book is being a sensitive and empathic person. So, I am a very, very feeling person, and often when we are young, we get trained out of trusting our own emotional responses to things, our own feelings about what is happening, our own senses of reality. So your emotional compass is getting into congruency with what your feelings are actually telling you. My point of view about feelings is that they are actually... Um, information and their indications about your experience. But they've often been like sort of mixed up and, and tossed around so they're not as clear as they could be. So when you sort that out and then like someone says something to you and you have an emotional response, it's giving you information about your experience. And when you can sort out if that response is current time or 
reaction from the past, um, then you can use that response to help you understand, okay, what is going on here? Like, you know, somebody said something to me and it didn't feel very good. Okay, that's information. And now what do I want to do with that information? Um, And I think a lot of people are, are often very confused and stay sometimes in abusive situations because they've gotten very confused about their feelings and how they feel about things. Uh, but your feelings are actually there to alert you to how you're being impacted by the world around you and by your experience. We've got, we've got only about three minutes left. I wanted to ask you about context. What, what are the contexts that we deal with in, in life? And sometimes maybe uh, will that be the root of our, of our unhappiness? And, and in that case, should we completely anim- eliminate them? Um, I think it's very, so there's a chapter in my book called Context and Conditions Matter, mm-hmm. which is, there's, you know, in pop psychology, there's sort of this belief that you create your own happiness and you are the manifestor of your experience. Well, yes, and the environment that you're in, the context that you're in can have a major impact on your well-being, as do your relationships. So if you're in, I was just talking about abusive relationship, if you're in a toxic or abusive or uncaring relationship, acknowledge that the problem is with the relationship, not with you and get out (laughs) because you're going to have so much more happiness in that way. Or I use the example of if you live in a moldy house, but you're trying to take care of your health and you're just like, why can't I get better? What is the problem here? Mm. Move out of the moldy house. That's the first line of sort of defense and Um, protection. And so same in life and same with your happiness, the context and conditions, sometimes you have to adjust those first. And people get really confused and they internalize what is actually a context or condition issue with a, a personal issue, like something's wrong with me, something's broken about me. And so I think it's really important to clarify the difference and say, if I went in into a different environment, you know, would I feel entirely different? Okay, then there's a good chance it was the environment that you were in that was affecting mm. your happiness. Mm, well said. All right, healingmindsandhearts.com is, is the website. Um, you know, you, you uh, said something earlier in the program about you can still feel sadness or grief but still be content with life. Those seems like, those seems like uh, opposite feelings. How do those fit together? And we have a minute left, by the um, way. Okay. Gosh, how do I answer that? Sorry. Uh, It's like having a full range of emotion is part of being a healthy, happy human being. When we suppress our feelings, whether it's grief, anger, whatever it is, it creates congestion. It creates conflict. That's often where depression comes from is we don't want to feel some other kind of feeling. So it might not feel great in the moment, but it's like, you can allow the grief to move through you and have peace versus this inner turmoil and this inner conflict that like just puts you in, you know, sort of a place of mental anguish has been my experience. Uh, And no, like grief is an appropriate emotion to loss. And when you allow yourself to grieve and, and have that experience, then it flows through you. It doesn't get stuck in you. And then you can return to other feelings and other states of being. Sometimes it feels good to feel bad. All right, Alana, we've used up the time. Thanks so much for coming on today. Again, HealingMindsAndHearts.com is a website. Thanks so much. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you. Time now for news.